So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 14. And just for a couple minutes tonight, I'd like to talk about how we discern something, whether it's God's will or not. Like an, op- like an opportunity comes our way, something just shows up on the horizon, something that looks really good, something that maybe we've been praying for, or maybe it's something that secretly we desire in our heart to happen, that maybe we haven't taught, told anybody. Um, and then there's this opportunity. And before I start um, reading 1 Corinthians 14, um, the devil is the master of impersonating the plan of God. He wants to impersonate, um, he wants to replicate, he wants to sublimate the plan of God in our lives. And he wants to take things that we're praying for or waiting for or that we need, and he wants to bring opportunities to us that look good, but they are maybe good, they are acceptable, but they're not the perfect will of God. And Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice that we may, be, that we may prove the perfect will of God. And there's also the good and the acceptable. And one way to read that verse is, is that there are some things in our life as a Christian that are good. Wow, this is good. That's, that's not bad, but it's good. Um, other things may be acceptable. Well, that's not maybe the best or maybe great, but it's acceptable. It's it's. You know, it's better than what was happening before. And then there's the perfect. And I think as Christians, we really want God's perfect will. Because in the perfect will of God is where we find true happiness. Is where we find fulfillment in our purpose as a creation. Amen? That's where we find, where we, we discover, um, wow, this is what I was made to do. This is what I was made to be. This is what I, what I was made. And this is where I find my true joy. It doesn't mean everything's easy, but I can say that when trouble comes and when there's an earthquake of circumstances, I have that anchor, this conviction like God told me. I know this is God's will. I'm sure that when we're out there serving or ministering or just as a a parent or as a grandparent, when we're doing what we do, pouring into our younger generation, we sometimes are really shaken by things. And uh, we can sometimes doubt and we can be shaken by circumstances or maybe people push back or circumstances push back and we have this opportunity to question ourselves and if we have a personal conviction in our heart about the will of God that we're in the that we're in the perfect will of God then we can we can weather any storm we really can because we have that anchor and that's why before we do anything and before we step into something we really want to know um, that we've heard from God, that this is God's will. And that's why we don't want to rush into things. We, we want to take our time. Um, there's only one thing in my life that feels, that feels the pressure of rushing, and that's the flesh. Why? Because the flesh has an expiration date. The flesh is going to die. It knows it's going to die. It has a time period. It has a moment where it's going to cease to exist. And so it's always aware of time, right? But in our spirit, in the new man, as a new creation, we don't need to rush because we're going to live for eternity. God's in no rush, right? And so 1 Corinthians 14, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 33, I want to read this. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. This is a verse that we quote a lot, but I think that um, we need to understand that God is not an author of confusion in your life. And maybe somebody's listening to this um, recording or maybe someone's here today. 
as a young person thinking about the future is that when I think about my future, when I think about opportunity in the future, if I'm entering into something and I don't have that conviction that I've heard from God, like we said Sunday that we get a conviction in our spirit and not in our soul or in our body, but we have a conviction in our spirit and that means it's never shaken. And when we have that conviction in our heart that we've heard from God and that we've done things in God's order, then we can really stand the test of shaking. Uh, things may be moving all around us, but those things that, are, that cannot be shaken are the things that remain. And that's why sometimes everything in our life can be shaken. And I'm sure that you've had things happen in your life where everything is shaken. Like you just think, okay, this is the end. You know, this is the end. But when everything feels like it's been shaken, God does that because he wants to show you things that are never going to be shaken in your life. And that's number one, God's faithfulness. Number two, the promises of God. Number three, the presence of God in our life will never, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so when we think about the plan of God, the, the will of God, what is God's plan? We need to ask ourselves five questions. And I'm sure there's more, more, than, more than five, but there's five questions that I like to ask myself when I'm thinking about God's plan and when I'm thinking about opportunities that come my way. Number one, uh, if it is from God, it's not going to steal my joy. Okay, and that's John 16, verse 22. And I want to just turn to, these, to turn to these verses and read them to you. John chapter 16, verse 22. And it says this, it says, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one shall take from you. This is the New King James. Jesus is saying that though you're having hardship right now, just because we have hardship, it doesn't mean that we're outside of the will of God. Many times when we're in the will of God, we experience way more hardship than outside the will of God. I remember before my dad got saved, my mom was a, backslidden, a backslidden Christian. Um, I had just gotten saved. I was an 11-year-old or 9-year-old. Yeah, 9-year-old. The rest of my family wasn't saved. And I remember like the life we lived. You know, as middle-class Americans, we had a house in York, Maine, beautiful, near the beach. It was a beautiful area. And I remember my dad got saved. Within three months, he loses his job. This is in the middle, this is like in the uh, mid-70s, late-70s. And everything just went haywire. And I remember my dad just being a brand new Christian saying, I thought things were going to be different being a Christian. And I remember everything being shaken to my family. And that drove us to this church in, the, in, the, in New England, the church that, a greater grace that, that we were a part of. As an 11-year-old, I went there and I remember uh, sensing the presence of God. And I remember feeling we are in the middle of the perfect will of God and the whole world around us is shaking. And so if it's from God, it's not going to steal our joy. Um, and Jesus says this, that things may get rough, but one thing that we're never going to ever lose is joy. And joy is not necessarily first an emotion. Joy is first a conviction. It's a, it's a persuasion in my heart that I know that I know that I'm safe, I'm secure, and that God loves me, right? And that brings joy. And, so, and they, this, is the, this is the trinity of the, of, the in, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace. The love of God, the joy of the Lord, and the peace of God in our hearts. And so, you know, things may be going out of control, but if we have the peace of God, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody close to you and say, you know what? 
Times are hard, hard, but somehow I have peace in my heart. So that's the first thing is that like, you know, if a relationship or an opportunity in business or church opportunity or ministry opportunity or something or this or that. If it's from the Lord, if it's God, it's not going to steal our joy. And I say this because sometimes opportunities come. We take it because we want it and then we lose our joy. In, in Maryland and maybe here, too. But in Maryland there, when I was in the mortgage business, I was a loan officer and I would help people qualify to get loans to buy houses. And that was a hard job um, because, um, you know, there are so many things that could go wrong. And I remember that, like, I remember s- several times where the deal was done. Everything was OK. Everybody was ready to go. Papers were signed. But then there's three days. It's called the three day it's a three-day period where, where people could change their mind, and the whole deal is, is just unravels, right? And so that's three days of just holding your breath, right? Like, is this going to happen? Is it? And there, but there were times where people said, nope, because they get the house, they get everything, they get in, and then suddenly there's this regret, you know, this huge regret, like, wow, what did we just do? What was the, what did we just do? So it doesn't steal our joy. That's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. It says that the, Blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So if it's God in your life, it's not going to steal your joy. It may, it may cause, con- there may be difficulty, but there's never going to be confusion in your heart. There's going to be a quiet, and that's why people could, and martyrs in the, in the first century of Christianity, they could go into these stadiums, and they could be, they could be um, eaten by lions, and they could go in there with just this quietness and peace, and Historians in the day, like Josephus, would write about the calm and the peace on the faces of these believers, these Roman believers, as they were going into into the stadiums, to, and their life was going to be ending there, uh, as they were being devoured by lions, and they had this peace and a joy. That this number one, if it's God, it's uh, it won't steal our joy. Number two, if it's from God, it's not going to damage our confidence. What I mean by that is. Is this is uh, Romans chapter eight verses thirty eight and thirty nine? Let's look at that together. Romans eight, Romans eight, thirty eight. Says this: For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor debt nor Depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If it's from God, it's not going to separate us from understanding God's love towards us. It's not going to separate us from our confidence. It's not going to damage our ability to trust God. I think when people enter into a relationship that's not a healthy relationship, that relationship, because they really want it, and they persuade themselves that this is a good thing because they really want it, uh, can enter into a very destructive relationship that's toxic, that can destroy their soul, it can destroy their body, it can really destroy their decisions. And that is why when, if something is from God and it's coming from God, it's not going to destroy our confidence. It's not going to separate us from the love of God. There's not going to be something where we sense our isolation and that we're in a place where we're not safe. Number three, um, if it's from God... We don't need to chase it. If it's from God, we won't need to chase it. And this is Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19. If something's from God, it's not something that we have to run after. 
that we have to chase down. And this is really the way the world works, doesn't it? The world's like, hey, chase your dreams. Chase this opportunity. Chase this job opportunity. Um, work hard. Uh, get to where you want to get by, by chasing it. And, and if it's from God in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, it says this. Uh, that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's going to supply our needs. I think often of, of Adam in the garden by himself. He hadn't met Eve yet. And he's there serving the Lord. He's doing what he was called to do, what God had commanded him to do. He's a single man. And when I was single, I often thought of this, uh, you know, because this is what I wanted. This was what I wanted to do in my in, I wanted to go to Bible college. I wanted to finish Bible college. I wanted to go on the mission field and be part of a church plant, see a church planted. Then I wanted to be ordained, and then I was going to get married. That was the, because I was like, okay, this is the way I want to do it. Like, I want to get married after I, I plant a church, because I want to be engaged in my calling. And I remember, you know, you're just thinking as a single person, or you're thinking like, who will it be, and how will it happen, and how will I know, and well, I have to chase this person down. And, and when I was in high school, I wasn't really a guy that could date. I wasn't a dater. I just wasn't good with that. I just wasn't like this, hey, let's go on a date. Like, I didn't even know how to approach that, you know. So I wasn't really a dater. And I didn't have any girlfriends. And I really didn't know how that, all, how that would all happen. And I just remember praying a lot. And I remember opportunities. But it was always just kind of always outside of my reach. You know, I felt like, I would have to leave my place here where I am with God in his perfect will to chase after that. And I don't think that that's God's order. God has an order. And so when it's from God, we don't have to chase it. God brings it to us. And that's what happened with Adam. Adam was in the garden. He's serving the Lord. And then God himself said, it's not good that Adam be alone. And I would rather be in a situation where it's God's perfect will and have God make that decision. This is not good. And that God would make the change. Instead of me walking around complaining about the circumstance. This is not good. I deserve something different. I deserve something better. I deserve this. I've done that. And I think that if we're doing all the talking like that. Then we are not allowing God to give his, his opinion. His thought on the matter. And we're saying it's not good. And God's like it is good. It's Lamentations chapter 3. This is hard for you, and this is good. Lamentations chapter 3 is an interesting chapter. It's about mercy. But it says in those verses, it says, it's good that a young, young man bear the yoke in his youth. And it, t- it talks about suffering as a young person. I don't mean like young in age, but it's good for us. Hardship is good. And, and I think if we can just be in the perfect will of God, living in that peace with God, that confidence with God, that conviction with God, having peace in my heart, maybe not having everything I want or need. I remember when I was in um, overseas and um, I really was in a place of felt, I felt like I was in a lot of just need. I needed something in my soul. I just needed something. I felt like I need this and without it, it's just, I'm I'm not going to be able to serve. And I remember being on the verge of a bad decision, you know, and I've told the story before, but I remember our pastor got up and he preached, he preached a message from John 4. And the whole message was Jesus saying, my need is that I would do the will of him who sent me. That's what my need is. My meat, Jesus said. 
And I remember he just said it over and over and over. And I just walked away from the sermon thinking, wow, I think my greatest need in my life is just the will of God. And then God will add all these other things to me because we really don't know what's the best for us. And so if it's God, we're not going to have to chase it. If an opportunity comes our way, God brings Eve to Adam and she's right there. He's right there. She comes into his sphere of walking with God. And this is a, be- this is a beautiful order of God. Instead of Adam leaving his calling, or, or um, um, we see in the Bible, men, uh, men of God in the Old Testament, Abraham is looking, sends his servant to find a wife for his, for his son. We see that God has a way of doing things. So if it's God's will, it's not something they're going to have to chase. I can rest and it's going to come to me. Number four... If it's from God, it's not going to ask me. If it's from God, it won't ask me to compromise. If it's from God, it's not going to be something that comes into my life and says, hey, but you've got to make a compromise. You've got to make a compromise for convictions. And I think that single women sometimes are in this place where they're waiting for a while. They're not married and they're waiting and they don't know what's going to happen. And time's going on and they're very aware of their, their and I've seen this happen with friends they get older they start they feel like they're getting older um and they get into a relationship where the relationship is proposing a compromise or maybe we want to enter into some kind of deal with somebody or a business or something else whatever it is because we want affirmation or we want to feel we want to please people if we're a people pleaser type of personality we get into a relationship with somebody and we feel Obligated that we got to make them happy so that I can feel happy. That's just, that's wrong thinking. And if it's from God, it's not going to lead me to a place of compromise. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, maybe you know some of these verses, but I think it's just always good to read them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and um, verse 14. Paul here is talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about relationships. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness, righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? So God's never going to lead us into something that's going to ask us to compromise our convictions. And I think that when, a comp- when, when something comes that we've just like, that, guy, that golden, shiny thing that comes into our life, and we're like, this is it. This is the answer to my prayers. And this is an opportunity. And we're just giving praise reports. And then suddenly the opportunity requires me that I would make a compromise on a conviction that I have in my life about God, who I am, my value, um, what God's word says about my lifestyle. And when that happens, we feel the pressure like, wow, I've got to compromise just a little bit. And the devil's not, he, he, the devil's not happy with just a little bit. He wants the whole thing. And he's going to keep chomping away until he gets the whole thing. And so God's never going to lead us into something. And if we're in a circumstance where we're being asked or expected to compromise, then at that point, we just say, thank you. No, thank you. Because we're being led into something where it's going to really destroy our soul. And so we can tell if something's God's will or not, if it's asking us to compromise. And lastly, if it's from God, it's not going to question who we are in Christ. It's not going to question our value. And this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And what it says here, what it's, it, it's talking about what we've been created for. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, God's will in our life is not going to, is not going to ask us to, um, it's not going to question our value. It's not going to bring us to a place where, where we are being beaten down and we are being destroyed as a person, where, where we are being, and the only word I can think of is in another language, Polish, um, we're being beat down, pushed down, we're being like, um, you know, like if you're in a job where you're just, like, you know, working in the world that has its nuances. But if you're in a job where you're just continually being, like, just, you know, like beaten down and, and it's, it's toxic and, it's, and, and, and you start thinking like, well, maybe this is what I deserve. When I lived in Ukraine, I remember counseling uh, one, uh, my wife and I were counseling one Ukrainian lady who was married to a guy that would beat her. He would just physically beat her. And it would just be pretty brutal. And I remember, and that happened a lot. That happens a lot in that part of the world. And I remember her talking to us. And she was really like her self-image, her, the way she looked, the way she acted, the way she talked. She was very sheepish, very beat up. And, and she said, you know, maybe this is what I deserve. Maybe I deserve this. Maybe this is what I deserve because I wasn't so obedient to God or I made bad decisions or... And people begin to believe, they begin to take on that, that, um, that image of being beat up and, and they don't understand their value and who they are in Christ. God's never going to lead you into a circumstance where, where toxicity is going to, uh, where, where we believe that we are, we are not valuable. When Christ met the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, how did he talk to her? He talked with her with such dignity. He didn't talk to her like the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were beating her up with their words, like we're ready to stone her. And then Jesus gets down, and this is, you know, one, one preacher put it this way. It was like the theology of condescension. Like he got down on his knee, and he was drawing in the sand. And it doesn't say he stood up. At this moment, when he's talking to the woman, he's down at her level and he's talking to her eye to eye. He's talking to her with great dignity. And when somebody fails, when somebody fails, when they're in sin, um, many, many Christians feel this elation and this gratification and surrounding this person who's failed and, 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 and just throwing stones and rocks at them on the media. And then Jesus comes in and he just speaks to them, speaks to this person in such a way with such dignity. And with love. And, and so God's never going to allow, God's will is not going to be something ever that um, is going to ask us to, um, to, to um, compromise the understanding of our value in the finished work. Now, things may happen where people may not value us. And nine times out of ten, that's what happens. We live in a world that doesn't understand who we are, and that's okay. But when I come into a circumstance or a relationship and I begin questioning my own value, and I start believing the lie and, and the, the brainwashing of that I'm nothing, I'm no good, and that I don't, I don't deserve to ask anything from God, I don't, I don't deserve the best from God, then that's when um, I need to ask myself, am I really, is this really the will of God? And so there's many different variants to those circumstances, and we could talk about that, but 
maybe we'll just end right there. And um, maybe, do we have any comments or questions? Anyone have any thoughts regarding this, what we just shared?